0: Good morning, listeners. This is Citizen U, a forum where we explore issues and meet people in order to help you make a difference here in Mendocino County. I'm your first Wednesday of the month host, Dan Jurde, a Mendocino County supervisor. On the third Wednesday of the month, your host is Ukiah City Councilmember Mari Roden. Today on Citizen U, we meet a community member who is one of the leaders of Mendocino County government and who shares responsibility for balancing the county budget. We're meeting with Darcy Annell, who is starting her, um, completing her first year as Chief Executive Officer of the County of Mendocino. Darcy, welcome to Mendocino County Public Radio.
1: Good morning, Dan. Thank you for this opportunity to discuss budget and processing with you. Um, I'll introduce myself really, really quickly. I've been in the county for over 30 years um, came to Potter Valley, and then moved to Redwood Valley. Majority of my time over 20 years has been in Redwood Valley. And I can, um, uh, my work history, uh, most of my work history was in healthcare, uh, administration, Ukiah Valley primary care, and then working with Adventist Health the last decade or so of my my career out in healthcare. most of that time was in outpatient clinical work and management uh, revenue cycle work throughout the um the uh north region at the various clinics that adventist health has ran mostly rural health clinics across across the northern state um, during that time i also was an educator at uh, MCOE, Mendocino County Office of Education and Medical Assisting Program, and also taught um, medical billing, coding, um, and accounting classes at um, Mendocino College. Um, I uh, have a master's degree from St. Mary's, a bachelor's from the University of San Francisco, and um, my AA in physical education from Mendocino College here locally. Um, I joined the county in 2017, right after the fire. I had uh, decided to leave healthcare, was going into HHSA fiscal, and uh, the fire occurred in the month that I was transitioning uh, from healthcare to government, and at that time, I was in my uh, hired-into role. In fiscal and uh, within a week I was pulled over to work in disaster recovery for the 17 fire. I was in November and uh, worked through all of that. It was an interesting time to convert uh, healthcare acronyms. I knew very well uh, and to learn all the nomenclature that goes with governments quite different and a large uh, role to play with learning um, FEMA and Cal OES and pulling all that uh, that language together was a, an interesting time. And the county had not been through such a large disaster prior to that. So um, pulled that together um, about nine months into my career here at the county. I was pulled into the executive office to um, start working on budget. That was in 18. And I um, have been working and learning about the co- county budget and those processes. Uh, since then, and uh, worked directly with uh, Carmel Angelo, a prior auditor controller, Lloyd Ware, on that work, um, working and taking some classes with uh, CSAC, which is the California Association with Counties, to learn more about budgeting in county government. Um, it is not like any other uh, process out there. It's quite different, um But we are trying to bring in some of what happens in um, private to to county government, some of the best practices that are out there, um, and take a look at what we can do to uh, build a a better budget for the county.
0: Well, well, thank you, Darcy, for that that introduction. Yeah, I mean, I I first encountered your work here at the county um, when – Uh, As you said, when you came over to the recovery team to, um, you know, try to manage the grants, the, the reimbursements from FEMA and the, and Cal OES, um, in response to the 2017 fires and then subsequent events like that. And, uh, it's, it's my, Definitely was my impression, and I think the impression of many others, that, that you were one of the, the stars that was, you know, bringing in the dollars, um, getting the county reimbursed, and, and delivering um, timely response to the public. And if if sometimes there wasn't a way that we thought um, to respond um, quickly enough, you seemed to find a different way to, to get the response to the people more quickly. Um, yeah, and just uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about the the county culture Um every organization's a little bit different. Um I, I came from the city of Fort Bragg, an organization of about 70 employees to an organization of about twelve hundred with the county. Cities have a little more limited scope of what they do and a much smaller footprint than the county. So just seeing that difference from the city to the counties is was a big change. And you coming from private sector, healthcare in particular, over to the county. Can you talk maybe a little bit about either county culture or even just the the computer IT support uh, and technology that that you might have experienced in the private sector? And I know we're making a lot of investment in IT at the county today, but it, it, it's you know it, I think it's fair to say the county is not where many private sector businesses are yet, just because it's taking time to 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 make that transition. But we are making good progress right now.
1: Thank you. So yeah. Um, actually, my bachelor's is in organizational behavior. And so, working through um, what I see at the county compared to what happened with a uh, multiple, multiple disciplinary uh, medical practice, um, the county is much more siloed, um, tend to work in their departments and not cross and uh, understand or have a full appreciation for what the other department does. And there is a lot of cross alignment um, that needs to happen and some is and has been happening. And I will use probation, social services, mental health and the sheriff's office. They have to cross collaborate now more than in the past uh, with public health and um, with all the behavioral health issues that we're seeing out in the community Some of that's a result of COVID. Some of that's been building up for years as well. So there is some of that starting to happen, but it needs to become more collaborative and appreciation and understanding of what's going on in the other departments. As far as IT, you know, when I was with um, Adventist Health, we upgraded and went to electronic medical record. It was really um, painful. Um, But Having the most current infrastructure, uh, IT infrastructure, to do your job makes you much more efficient, and it helps in those cross-collaborations between the departments. Um, What I see right now is when I was uh, working in the FEMA world, that sometimes to get reports that were needed to report out our expenses, I was using five different systems to gather information about um, time time worked, time paid and benefits. And it just does not, it is not efficient for the county. And I really, um, the county has over the last four or five years invested heavily in upgrading some of their communication software. And uh, they are looking and there is some dollars set aside to continue those upgrades. One thing that I have been pushing strongly on since I came and that actually started in 2019 um, was a budget module within our enterprise system, Eunice Tyler, uh, to get upgraded to where we could do all the budgeting within the system and move away from spreadsheets. Um, There were several upgrades that needed to happen with our system to get there. Um, those those upgrades for the most part were completed in February of this year so we're continuing to upgrade we're continuing to move the county forward into the you know 2022 hopefully we'll 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 get there sooner rather than later
0: yeah just recently the county migrated from Novell groupwise and some of us might remember the software company Novell from the 1980s 1985 calling um, and we just moved over to, to Office 365, and I, I know that that took a tremendous amount of work by the county employees to make that shift, but it's so much more productive um, to be able to operate on a on a state-of-the-art um, email and, and other um, you know web-based platform. Um, uh, again, um, looking at the county, um, maybe we could dive into the county budget just a little bit. Um, there's a lot of talk about the county budget right now in the community, so maybe we could Um, dive into it a little deeper than most conversations. So I wanted to give the audience a little perspective on the the county budget. And and the top line figure is really large. It's about $341 million, all all state, federal dollars, everything combined. That equals something like $3,800 per resident. Um, uh, As a point of reference, the four cities have a combined budget of about $144 million. And that's as a As a point of reference, that's about $4,800, about $1,000 more per resident. Uh, The county um, stretches those services over a a large geographic area, or at least attempts to. Of course, the county of Mendocino is nearly the size of the state of Delaware and Rhode Island combined, 3,878 square miles. The four cities, much more compact, 12 square miles. So fewer dollars per resident far more miles to to try to cover some kind of services. Of course, majority of county services are also offered in the cities, um, although there are certain services that are exclusive to county residents uh, that the county attempts to deliver, such as road maintenance, patrol duties. But just in the public safety arena, the majority of our public safety budget is actually spent both city and county, and that would be um, uh, the jail, which is for all all county residents, probation, um, district attorney, um, public defender, alternate public defender. Um, so, yeah. again, most of the county's services, the vast majority, are for both city and county residents. Um, so when you, when you think of the county budget, I know that you're looking at, you know, so many strings are attached. Maybe we have money from the state for a particular state program. Maybe that state funding provides all or pr- more often than not, not entirely all the cost of that particular program. And then we have to backfill the difference out of the county general fund, which is, in other words, local, local revenues, local taxes. Um, so maybe we could start out with um, looking at some of those um, monies that are for particular programs that are coming from the state or federal government that the county is responsible for delivering on behalf of the state or federal government.
1: So um, the majority of the state and federal dollars that come in are for social services, public health, and behavioral health services. So what, what we formerly called HHSA, Health and Human Services, um, they are those are mandated services by the state that come down now. Having said that the majority of those dollars go to those budgets, there is a requirement from the county to support them. And that's a maintenance of effort. And the maintenance of effort is something that the county needs to carry forward. And, um, such as what we were, um, the board was discussing yesterday IHSS in home health support services. And I think that um, when we look at that, there isn't maintenance of effort to the county um, to to a tune of over 2.5 million. In social services, just social services, basically child welfare, adult services, adult and aging services, with our maintenance of effort on an annual basis is over a million dollars. So though we are getting monies from state and federal government, there is an impact on the local general fund. And the general fund is considered non-discretionary. Those are the local dollars that flow into the county. Majority of those are from property tax, right? There's a few other taxes that the county has, but really um, when you look at it, more than 50% comes from property tax. And then we have those monies that need to go out and support the other services, as you mentioned, public safety. If you look at our general fund department's non non-discretionary money that comes in, we're looking at about $75 million. Our public safety is uh includes um sheriff, jail, probation, district attorney, juvenile hall, alt defender, conflict defender, and public defender, as you mentioned, and that is 55% of the county's general fund dollars that go to, to those services. Again, those are countywide services. They are provided throughout the county, um, north coast, south coast, um, east and west throughout Mendocino County. Um, And that includes the health and human services section. So those dollars that I was talking about, the 1 million and the 2.5 for those two particular services are services provided throughout the entire county, regardless if you're in the city or if you live in the county residence. So again, a significant portion of our budget is going to public safety and health and human services support that that supports the entire county. The rest of it, there are mandated services that we need to do such as elections, um, assessments on properties, um, and then the support services that we need to move forward. Um, You mentioned IT prior. IT is such vital in this county and getting our broadband uh, bandwidth up to current standards so that we don't have to have offices throughout the county that folks are able to go in and do this, these um, new age permits and filings and those types of things online, uh, whether that be at a, a kiosk somewhere or at the library or even through their home and their phones um, as we move forward. So look forward to um, upgrading those systems and more uh, access to Internet throughout the county.
0: Yeah. So on that point, so we were, we have as a goal in the IT departments working with other county departments to try to get more permits, as you just mentioned online. So people won't need to drive to Fort Bragg or to Ukiah to, um, I mean they can, but, but they won't need to drive to those offices to talk directly with county staff and submit hard copies. Our, Our hope is eventually we can get to the point where people can submit electronic copies of their building plans, their site plans, et cetera. And, um, and, (laughs) <laughs> save a lot of time on the customer side and, and and have better tracking on the county side because it would all be electro- electronically recorded and, and tracked. Um, yeah. And, and as an example that we had a discussion yesterday is um, the in-home support services. That's a program that's evolved over the years. I think it dates back in some counties as far as nineteen in the 1950s, but um, really took off in the 90s and the 2000s in terms of numbers of people enrolled in those programs as they expanded. And the state and the federal government have um, really expanded that service um, with the intent that they're keeping people, at least in some cases, keeping people out of um, uh, uh, 24-hour service care, you know, like elder care facilities. And so it's, um, it's become this Medi-Cal program um, since the 70s. And uh, the, what, statewide, less than 2% of the, of the people who are getting those services are in a program that pre-exists 1974. Um, or existed in 1974. So 98% of the people enrolled in that program are enrolled in services that have been expanded since then and um, and it's a, again a Medi-Cal program. It's the only medical cal program that I can think of, Medicare Medi- Medi-Cal, that um, that local tax dollars are, are being used to help cover. Um, every other Medicare or Medi-Cal program is, is funded through Medicare or state dollars. But there's a, in that particular case, there's a 17.5% share by the, by local counties. Although obviously what happened in 1978? (laughs) Prop 13 kicked in. So there's, there's no tax anywhere in California at the local government level that the voters have approved, um, that funds that 17.5% share from counties. But yet, it is an expense of county government. It's not an expense of city government. But there's no revenue for that match. It just further squeezes the money that's available for road maintenance, for the uh, sheriff patrols, and all those other services. And you know, I I get asked all the time, like, well, you know, why why are we still at 1972 levels of patrol or 1972 levels of this or that? And it's like, well, because over time, all these other Programs that everybody wants that do great, wonderful things um, that are supposedly state-funded programs have entered into being a, a, a service provided by county government, but not 100% of the funding is coming from the state and federal government in many cases, and so it's further stretching those local dollars farther and farther and farther. And as I just described, the amount of money available per county resident is less than a is a thousand dollars less than the cities have in, in Mendocino County. And and the numbers of services that the county is expected to provide is many is multiples of what the cities are expected to provide um, with those same dollars. Um, uh, you mentioned the county's number one revenue source is property tax, and um, I should probably reintroduce you, Darcy. You are Darcy Antle, CEO, Co- Chief Executive Officer of Mendocino County, and and this is Susan. You with um, the host today, myself, Dan Jirti. And you mentioned earlier that the number one um, revenue for county government is property tax, and um, we all—all all of us who are fortunate enough to own a home—we pay a—we pay a property tax bill to the county that we live in, and um, and and you know it's and it can be a pretty big bill. And and uh, um, one one piece of information that's kind of important for people to know is, although we write the the check to the county of Mendocino. You know, the county does not get to keep most of those funds. So, about 55% of those dollars go to your local school district and, um, of the 1% property tax, uh, and about 30 or so cents if you live in the county, unincorporated county, outside of a city go, goes to the county. If you live in a city, it's a little less than 30 cents stays with the county government. But you, we all write the check to the county government, but the county doesn't keep you know, even half of, of that property tax bill, but it is the number one source of revenue for, for county government in California. And, um, as that, and, and because the county is collecting those dollars for the local school districts and any other entity like a city, um, it, it you know, it is kind of incumbent upon the county to make sure that we're, um, fully, uh, fully collecting, um, in, in the case if there's a building, if there's two buildings on a piece of property, there's supposed to be two buildings on the tax rolls. And that's, not always the case. In fact, I remember talking to Supervisor, former Supervisor, John Benches, ten years ago, and and he said this has been an issue for decades in Mendocino County, where there are buildings that are built without building permits, and many of them never make their way onto the onto the tax roll. So it's not like a new issue, but it's in a county this size, um, it, it's been an ongoing issue for decades. And um, I know there's um, interest at the county of of using satellite data to start to bring those property those buildings onto the tax rolls where where they're not currently um so darcy uh is there anything you want to discuss about that revenue source and, and the responsibility the county has to to fully collect those dollars
1: yeah i mean uh, i believe that the three electeds at the time it was uh um, the assessor clerk recorder, the treasurer tax collector, and the auditor controller have been attempting to implement a new property tax system called Aumentum. Um, it has been a challenge for them, uh, all three of those departments, over the course of about six years, I believe, and trying to implement and move that forward. So um, there is there is some technology challenges that we're having with the current system, but as far as going out and assessing the other properties um, that are not on the tax roll, I know you in particular have done some work to help uh, increase and look at staffing, so we could get some tax assessor tax to to help in that area, so we would have additional staff support as well as looking at a GIS system. Um, we have the ability to do um, that's some of that search in-house with our own GIS team, which is uh, quite phenomenal, and find those buildings and then be able to send, um, send the workforce out. It's, uh, right now we're a little lacking in that workforce, um, but hopefully we'll be moving that forward in January to kick that off. Um, Again, um, I think there is a fair number of of houses out there and or other outbuildings that need to be reviewed and put on the tax roll to help increase that. Um, With the current deficit in the budget, um, long-term, the only way we're going to meet the demands um, and the mandatory core services that we need to supply is by increasing our revenue. So, um, we really need to increase that workforce and get our, um, property tax system up working in a current modern fashion.
0: Speaking of um, modern, uh, days, uh, I know that one of the, your passions is to try to, um, create a workforce, a workplace that, that today's workers want to work in. And, um, it's a challenge for every employer right now, particularly because, um, People are, you know, are trying to look for that work-life balance. And and so maybe um, any thoughts you have about how the county can become that welcoming employer that that people will want to go to work for the county and that we can get um, people who are wanting to be customer service oriented and, and um, you know, perform at a high level.
1: Um, a couple of things there, Dan. Um, one, I think we need to... Um, move forward with um, diversity, equity, and inclusion work that is in our uh, strategic plan. That is a goal for January to kick that work off um, with um, a consultant that will be coming in to help and work with our current team. We have a team that formed uh, shortly um after the George Floyd incident in 2020 and have really kind of kicked off that ball for us. Um, So we're gonna be moving forward with that work so that we are uh, able to retain and recruit individuals that may not understand county government. Um, And then also, I think we have the opportunity since COVID um, to look at a workforce that wants to telework. Telework is important, whether it's um, two days a week or five days a week, that somebody would want to do this to meet that work-life balance, as you mentioned. Um, also, I think we need to start looking at job share. What are the opportunities for folks to to job share? Of course, these this doesn't work for every job in the in the county, right? Uh, Job share may work uh, in patrol, but teleworking is not gonna be uh, something that the patrol uh, staff can do. So um, trying to move forward and recruit younger individuals um, such as in their 20s or 30s, folks that are just starting their career and really want to invest and be that public servant. um, It kind of feels to me at some point over the last decade or so, we've lost that focus on um, being public servants and what it really means to provide and give back to to your community. Um, and I think once folks joined the government, uh, working at the county myself really found that was fulfilling because it met a lot of the work that I was doing outside of here um, along the lines of public servant. I've been a Rotarian in this community for over 22 years, And my work here really aligns with the mission uh, of volunteering and giving back to your community um, at a high level. So I think we need to educate folks more about the work that we do. We need to focus on being good public servants, um, understanding diversity, equity, and inclusion and how that impacts our environment currently so that we can recruit the workforce that is out there that wants to be welcoming and ultimately, provide better outcomes uh, for our clients, um, for our community, and that will ultimately lead to a healthier, stronger community.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's probably easier said than done, but, but it, you know, it's a, it's, I think, important for all, every manager in the organization to find a way to make sure that, that they're, the people they're, they're leading, um, feel heard and, and that there's an opportunity for them to be successful in, in what they're trying to do and be recognized for that success. So it's, um, uh, but easier said than done. Um, uh, as we look at the, um, IT that you just mentioned, I, d- I did want to acknowledge that um, the IT department we have been able to allocate um, kind of a surprising a number for the county, given how little discretionary dollars we have. Partly because of the PG settlement funds, partly because of some grants, but we have been able to sure. invest thirteen million dollars in upgrading some of our IT, as I mentioned um, in some examples earlier. And um, so hopefully, as those new employees come into the county organization, it, you know, when again when they move to Microsoft, the county, and they they see Microsoft uh, three sixty five, it It looks like it's not a throwback to the 1980s. It's actually um, something they're familiar with outside of the county. Um, uh, I want to give another station ID. We are on KCWX, Mendocino County Public Radio, and this is is Susan Yu. And we are with um, Darcy Annell, the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer of Mendocino County. Um, Darcy, as you uh, look at the county and... um, and some of the opportunities to save money. Um, I know the board, um, will mention ideas every once in a while, other county employees will mention ideas. Are there some suggestions that you've heard from county employees or, or that your fiscal team's looking at that, that, um, you'd like to just mention?
1: Well, there's a couple of, a couple of things. And again, some of these we we've been discussing, but, um, managing our buildings one thing i was completely surprised about is that the county owns uh 65 buildings and leases of about another 40 i believe um and that's maintenance um that's upkeep and a lot of as you know deferred maintenance on those buildings so i think as we looked if we can really shift to this teleworking model where we share office space and we do some of our square footage, uh, of buildings across the, uh, across the county. I think we can save some money there. We can also help there with the carbon reduction to keep folks, uh, off the roads and save in fuel costs. It currently is really rather high. Also, our fleet, um, we have a rather large fleet. Um, we have a significant number of, uh, vehicles that, um, are driven less than uh, 6,000 miles a year. So we really need to look at moving those off our books. And again, that will save in the maintenance. Some of those were purchased with grants or purchased in other ways or funded such as in social services. Um, But reducing the amount of maintenance uh, is something that we can do on those vehicles. We estimate it's roughly $5,000 per vehicle On an annual maintenance cost. So anything we can do to reduce, um, reduce there. Um, I think teleworking and again, reducing our square footage. Those are just a couple of things that, that we're looking at. Um, there may be other opportunities, um, you know, with IT and the efficiencies, um, which I, I really Excited about particularly with uh, the budget software that uh, we look to be moving forward here in uh, 2023.
0: Yeah, and the way I'll, I'll kind of simplistically put it, you know, we have 65 properties, um, many of those with buildings on them, and then we also lease county buildings on top of that. And, and, you know, the common refrain you hear from most county employees is, you know, gee, when I look at my paycheck that I, after deductions, what they take home on their W-2, there's not a lot left over. And, and, uh, you know, part of the challenge is if we spend so much money on these buildings that people are, are in for part of the day, a few days a week, you know, um, that's money that can't go into their salaries, and so, it, it, you know, some county, some people will say, "Well, it's it's the board's responsibility to find the money." Well, <laughs> I think that's one place to find it is if there's fewer buildings to maintain, fewer liabilities for the county, um, and and honestly, I think a lot of people today would prefer um, if if their particular job allows it to to have at least the option to work from home. Um, and so I hope that we can find ways to enable the employees to do that where, where appropriate and, um, and, and save the county taxpayers' dollars so we can um, have the best best county employees that we can afford to hire and, um, and compensate them in a way that they'll want to stay with the county and not, as they say, train and trot and move to some other county.
1: Yeah. I think so, Dan. And, and again, yesterday we were discussing parks. Which is another impact on the county. Not that we've maintained them (laughs) at the highest level, but they are um, a liability. They do take staff time um, and they are spread out throughout the county. Some are used significantly more than others, but really through that parks needs assessment, need to determine which ones we can move to um, community owned or nonprofit owned. Um, and managed by a group of volunteers, if possible. Um, I think that would um, help us uh, reduce our total square footage um, and impact on the county.
0: I know another idea that's um, been discussed and and supported by the last two elected uh, sheriffs, um, Sheriff Wallman and Sheriff Kendall, um, is is the idea of having a single 24-7 um, dispatch center in the county. Um, currently, maybe most people don't even realize this, there's actually um, three different 24-7 dispatch centers just between the cities and the county. So Willits has a dispatch operations nearly 24 hours a day, and then it rolls over to the sheriff's office. And then and then the city of Ukiah has 24-7 dispatch that they provide also under contract with the city of Fort Bragg, and the county, of course, operates it. So, you, you know, you just think of the waste in having these three different dispatch centers for serving 90,000 people, you know, surely there must be a way for everybody to work together collaboratively to have a single dispatch center where everybody's getting a fair price for the service. And the taxpayers are saving dollars with a single dispatch center, because again, it has to be 24 seven, but there could be, you know, the graveyard shift where there's probably only a few calls an hour, but you, you still have to have that, that service. Um, so hopefully that's something that that, that our sheriff um, and the the police chiefs and the city councils and the board of supervisors can all get behind and support because we can save money for the cities and for the county if, if we were able to pull that off, as they have in Sonoma County and in much larger organizations than than here in Mendocino County. Um, uh, are there some other um, some other ideas about? Um, I know we've also looked at um, the cost of our fleet and. We've had some innovative, um, discussions about ways to reduce the cost of the fleet. Um, I believe we have a trial p- program with, um, enterprise where we're leasing, not, not on a daily basis, but a, a long-term lease with enterprise fleet division, um, for our social services department. And it's to see if, as advertised, it, it will save the county significant money, um, by, Going with enterprise lease rather than having county-owned vehicles that are maintained by county um, uh, mechanics, and um, the concept, and, and we'll see if it proves true. Is we'll actually have employees driving newer vehicles um, at a lower cost, and so I, I know that's that's one of the things we're looking at. We also have uh, two grant, or at least one grant, at this point um to uh install electric car chargers at two locations in the county at the admin center at Logap, also at Yokeo near the Ukiah Co-op um, that'll be available for the public to charge during the day and overnight for or for employees during the day and then also for the um county vehicles as we transition over to electric EVs um with some of our, our county fleet. And so, um, you know, that, that will ultimately save the county money as we can um, go to electric vehicles. There's less to maintain with an electric motor. Um, anything else that you want to discuss in terms of cost savings or just moving the county into the, into the new century?
1: Well, I, th- I think there's a couple of things um, I could talk about. Um, grants, um, prior to to my time in the county, the only people, the only departments, excuse me, that went out for grants was really uh, health and human services. And they were mostly state allocations, not competitive grants. And since the 2017 fire... The Perm team, the disaster recovery team, as it was prior known, has has gone out and secured over forty million dollars. Um, I know behavioral health is is going after grants, as well as uh, we are going after grants uh, for homelessness. Uh, probation is looking at grants as well. So I think grants are something that we need to kind of leverage moving into the future um, more to be able to provide some of the mandated, but also some of the services that we need, like home hardening, clearing for fire prevention, education, um, and those types of works out in the community. The other thing, um, Dan, that was there yesterday were fees. Um, And I know it's a touchy subject um, throughout the county and at this particular time, uh, looking at a recession, um, but the county has not stayed current in the fees that they charge, uh, particularly in um, planning and building services, cannabis, and uh, environmental health. Uh, This board has has directed that we bring those forward and keep them current. Um, To some extent, these fees are outdated by 10 years. So they really need to be assessed by the department head to ensure they're still doing that service and the amount of time that's required to perform those. I think as we move forward with IT and improve our technology, we will improve efficiencies. And we may see those fees goes down if we get the tools that we need to be able to do the job more efficiently. So, one, we got to keep our fees current. we got to keep moving forward with our IT and move us forward. Uh, electronic vehicles, as you mentioned, we do have charging stations coming in um, at two different buildings, one on one in the north end and one on the south end of the town, um, where folks can use them during the day and then uh, charge our vehicles in the future. The enterprise um, lease is still moving forward. Uh, it hasn't been totally uh, implemented yet, but it is a goal for um, first part of 2023.
0: Yeah, no. I've, I've always thought that I, I think the longtime accounting employees are probably have more knowledge about where 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 those efficiencies are and and where to um, to make them. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that they feel comfortable offering up those suggestions to the managers and 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 feel like it's a safe place to offer you know those suggestions. I, mm-hmm. I know if several years ago. Uh, a simple observation that I was making was that well, there was someone out um, pushing a a lawnmower three days a week in front of the decorative grass in front of the admin center. And, well, Ukiah's Mediterranean climate and the the sprinkler system was running seven days a week. So what happens when you have a climate like Ukiah's run sprinkler system seven days a week? Well, you have to push a lawnmower three days a week. And and yet the same general services department didn't have enough staff to maintain the roofs. (laughs) So simple solution there. Let's not water the decorative grass, and let's have that, the maintenance time allocated to something more important, like maintaining the roofs, not pushing a lawnmower. So, I mean, things like that, you know, improvements like that are, are, are probably very obvious to um, employees if we can um, encourage them, incentivize them to um, speak up and, and offer ways to make those savings.
1: And Dan, that, that gets to um, the culture shift, right? That That's something trying to make the the culture in the county um, safe, uh, safe to communicate, safe to work in, you know, physically as well, but a, a safe place to be um, and without fear of retaliation. And, and we really need to, to embed that in our culture so that we can recruit that tomorrow's worker, not you know, we we want to keep the ones we have today, but we need to be thinking about what the tomorrow worker needs, and that and that gets back to some of the items that we discussed earlier about um, teleworking, job share, and how to be more attractive to to the entire community.
0: Yeah, and just one final point on that: we look at the workforce in Mendocino County, and um, you know, about thirty percent live on the coast. About another. 20% live in the North County, a little far to commute to Ukiah. And there's literally some of the county jobs that you have to be within so many minutes of of Ukiah. So we've through outdated job descriptions like that, we've eliminated a good number of, of qualified applicants, um, maybe even CPAs that are in the community. Okay, we do have a caller. I'm going to take the first call. Okay, caller, you're on the air.
2: Uh, my question is, there a suggestion box for employees to make suggestions without having to sign their name thank you
0: okay good suggestion i believe there is a suggestion box right outside of the board of supervisors office and the ceo's office
1: yeah and most departments have them as well
0: okay great so Maybe maybe in one of the all-employee newsletters or emails, maybe that could just be a reminder that um, suggestions are are welcome, and, and of course, they can be anonymous if they want to make them anonymously. Okay, and callers, um, this is uh, KZUX, public, Mendocino County Public Radio. Feel free to call in. Um, Call-in number is 707-895-2448. You are with um, uh, Darcy Andel, Mendocino County CEO, Chief Executive Officer and Dan Jurde. So feel free to call in 707-895-2448. And we are talking about the county of Mendocino, the county budget, county services. Um, We're not really in a position to be um, talking about offering new county services when we're struggling to pay for what we have. But do see another call? We'll take this call. Okay, caller, you are on the air.
2: Yes. I want to know where are the homeless services, and where are the mental health services? There, we have homeless people sleeping out on the streets, sleeping in their cars. There's no homeless shelter, and I'd like to know where are the services. And there was a twenty-four million dollar mental health allocation when Carmel Angela was was uh, CEO. And what happened to all that money? And why do we? Where is the homeless services, and where are the where are the mental health services for our county?
0: Okay, thanks. So homeless services, where would people get a hold of um, county employees or others uh, to access services for people who are homeless or, or at risk of being homeless?
1: So that would be uh, through social services. Um, our social service office, we, we do have a social service office in Fort Bragg, uh, Willards, and in Ukiah. So there's three throughout the county. Um, also, the mental health, there is mental health services in Fort Bragg. And there's mental health, uh, services in Ukiah and Willits as well. Three, three cities. Um, we are looking to put mental health services on the South Coast. I'm not quite sure if that, uh, lease has gone through just yet, but, uh, there will be some extended services on the coast. Um, also around Measure B, Measure B was a tax measure that came into place. And Dan, you may remember the year because I, I don't, um, it was about five years ago though, I believe. And those projects are taking off. So there's a crisis residential treatment uh, center here in Ukiah um, on Orchard. Um, and then they are working on a um, PUF, um psychiatric uh, facility and that will be in Ukiah as well. So um, things are happening and moving. A homeless shelter, I do know I have seen contracts recently. Uh, there will be one at the Hospitality Center is doing over on the coast and um, building bridges. Here in Ukiah has one as well. Those are the two that come to mind.
0: And one of the challenges everywhere in the United States and certainly in California too um, is you know there are services for people who are um, homeless or are at risk of being homeless And they're, of course, never enough. But it's also true um, that there are some people who kind of resist for various reasons some of those services. And that's, for example, when we see um, a winter shelter where essentially um, kind of standards are kind of relaxed in terms of who's allowed to be in. sometimes people aren't allowed to be in a a homeless shelter if they're inebriated or whatever. But those standards might be relaxed for a winter shelter to get people off the streets when temperatures are down and, and rain's going on. We have uh, rainy weather and um but you know it's it's a challenge when some people don't want to kind of um, change their lives and um, and and <laughs> and move from homelessness um, for some people it's sort of a lifestyle. And really
1: yeah, we do have a really great um, outreach team um, ran here at the county that has done a lot of work and we put in, uh, the home key project work with the city of Ukiah on a hotel that was able to convert into apartments. Um, and that was able to get folks that would have been on the street. Um, but they are folks that want to move forward and make a life change. And uh, to your point, there are some folks that choose, uh, choose to be on the street for various reasons.
0: Okay. And, um, so, uh, Darcy, I know that the, the chief executive officer also has um, meetings on some basis with the city managers. Is there, are there some things that you're seeing um, that the county and the cities could collaborate on?
1: Uh, yes, I, I tend to meet with them monthly, depending on everybody's uh, schedule. Um, and there has been a lot of work uh, around housing. Um, we had a housing summer summit. Um, I believe it was um, late summer, uh, September time, I'm not 100% sure, I can't remember the date, but we did a housing summit which included the county and the cities coming together uh, to look at how we could address the workforce housing, right? So there is some housing that's going in in the various areas, but it's not always um, housing that our staff as the county staff or uh, working folks uh, qualify for, uh, so that that is one area everybody's um, working together. And, and maybe we could um,
0: talk a little bit about that. Um, w- earlier, we were talking about some state programs or federal programs that the county administers. And and while we don't necessarily administer most housing programs that are funded by the state or federal government, sometimes the county does. But whether it's the county or a nonprofit or someone else that's administering those state or federal funds, in most cases. Um, the income qualifications to receive those state or federal assistance is is so low that that um, very few um, p- employed people can can qualify for those that assistance. And so what we've kind of identified is there's this sort of missing middle, sort of this middle class of people who earn too much to qualify for government assistance and yet don't earn enough to live in an apartment or own a house that they want to live in. And and that's one of the struggles that all employers in this county face, whether they're private or, or public sector, is a place for their workers to live where they want to live. And sometimes they move to a different county, a different city, a, a different state because they're in search of, um, you know, a place that they can afford to live uh, that where they want to live. And I think it's one of the one of the biggest challenges facing every community in California is is how do we. Create some kind of housing that allows people to enter into home ownership in California who didn't, wasn't lucky enough to inherit a house um, or inherit a bunch of money um, and just doesn't have a high income job, um, but can still move into home ownership. and And I know the, the city of Fort Bragg has been promoting this idea of a housing land trust that they're trying to launch as a nonprofit on the coast, and potentially it could be something looked at countywide. Is um, where the the housing nonprofit would own the land but people would actually um, middle class people would buy the homes and then they'd be they would get equity because they would be homeowners but then when they would sell it they'd have to sell it to someone in that same income group that was affordable to that person and the model in Sonoma County they found that uh, on average people were um, uh, buying after about eight years on average they were moving out of that. Out of that um, home ownership into regular market rate homes, and so you could say over 24 years in one generation, four different households entered into home ownership and, and into that kind of middle class. So I, I personally think it's one of the best models I've seen um, because it's not like a winning lottery ticket for one family and then then the house reverts to market rate. It, it stays affordable to people in the workforce, and over time you help many, many households um, move into home ownership. But it is a conundrum everywhere in California, and in Mendocino County, not the exception. You know, one of the other things about the county budget that, you know, is a frustration for probably every single county employee and also for the supervisors is getting those phone calls and th- from someone who says, you know, I moved here onto this county road 30 years ago and the county has never paved my road. When are they going to pave my road? And um, the more I look at it, the more I realize, you know, it's not about the money was spent somewhere else. The fact is there just isn't enough money. As we talked about before, the the square miles of the county, um, you know, there's. let's talk about the miles of county roads. There's 630 miles of paved county roads. And as a point of reference... Highway Highway One, which is a state highway, but it's 105 miles long. So, just in terms of length, you know, take that, multiply it times six, then add every city road in Fort Bragg, Ukiah, Willits, and Point Arena, and now you've got the length of miles that the county road department is tasked with maintaining, and then they've got another um 100 or so uh, of of unpaved roads to maintain. So, and and you know. It's not that they can't do it, but they can't do it if they don't have the money. And there's three sources of funds that funds county roads. There's um, state gas tax dollars, and those the state has kept pace with inflation. So state is doing their job. Federal government gas tax has not gone up since 1993. It's lost over half the purchasing power. So the county's lost half of the purchasing power that it had from the federal dollars that come to the county. And then you got the county dollars, the third leg of the stool. And every year, you could talk to the Department of Transportation. They'll tell you every single year, the board moves over a certain percentage of the property tax over to the road budget. It's been consistent since 1978. The problem is those property tax revenues have not gone up at a pace that's kept up with the cost of paving or just maintaining the roads. And so the county's share is coming in every year into the road department budget. Uh, We occasionally are lucky enough to get a grant on top of that. You know in two two decades we've had stimulus funds for one year we've had the we're about to have the infrastructure dollars for one year, <laughs> but two years of funding from the federal government doesn't make up for losing every year's losing purchasing power every year from the feds so um you know the problem is there just isn't enough money keeping pace up with inflation that's going into the road budget so for any listener out there, if they really want to tackle this issue, you know honestly, my conclusion is after ten years on on the board. It's not a matter that the money was spent somewhere else. It's being spent on the road department. It's just not keeping up with inflation. And so if people really want to pave those 300 miles of paved roads that have not been paved and won't be paved, there's going to have to be a dedicated revenue stream to pay for that. And only the voters can, can enact something like that. It, the Board of Supervisors doesn't have that authority. Um, uh, are there any other... um <laughs> of frustrations that you hear from staff about i know the road department hears it every time when they have to tell the 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 public you know the bad news that their their road's not on the paving list
1: yeah i just would add you know not everybody understands what roads um the county's responsible for you know whether it's a federal highway a city road or a county road or even a private road sometimes um we've seen uh Individuals come together and do a road association and remove their stretch of of road out of um, the county so that they can maintain it on their own. And that, again, is an option for folks if they can work together with their neighbors to be able to do that Um, and maybe a solution for some people moving forward just, I don't know. Um, the county budget right now, yeah, it's frustrating all the way around. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly um, just where to start when, when you're short on revenue. We really got to uh, increase our revenue. The, the loss of the cannabis, the cannabis tax, as well as the loss of the cannabis industry uh, in the sales tax uh, and vehicles uh, has hit this county um, hard. And uh, we really need to get out there and uh, assess those additional buildings.
0: Okay, we have another caller. Caller, you're on the air. Caller, you're on the
2: air. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, my question is there used to be a path where um, county, uh, if you were in jail, you could work with uh, county employees to shoulder them as you spoke about. Uh, in the middle of the show, and then uh sometimes that path would create a job option for that prisoner when they were released, such as uh um, details on the road and different stuff like that. Have we seen those programs completely disappear, or um and I'm not talking like prisoner labor or anything but um a way to create a path from the jail to uh um, some of the things that we need around here, like road crews and park and wrecks and and stuff like that,
0: thank you okay, thank you for the question. I have heard of that at some point in the past, but i'm i'll let's look into that. I'm not sure if that's still current um that I believe there was a point in the past that I remember hearing that that the, there were some people that were in the jail and were um, referred to say the road department um, for possible employment, but I'm not sure if that's an active program or not. I know that one of the issues talking with the road department recently is um, up until a couple years ago, they were allowed to train um, new hires on how to operate heavy equipment. They could get them that, that, um, that uh, DMV license for a heavy equipment operator and they no longer have the legal ability to um, do the training uh, with county vehicles with county staff. And so that's been one f- frustration for the county department of transportation is because they in the past would often hire someone who didn't have that as a class C license, you know, the commercial vehicle license for the heavy equipment and then train them on the job on how to use heavy equipment. But they've lost that legal uh, ability to to give that training. So the person has to get the training outside of county government. And not everybody has that kind of a license um, just coming off the street.
1: Yeah, and I would just add, there are several programs uh, within the within the jail, and there's several programs with probation um, coming out of those. Are they hands-on career? I don't know. I know they are definitely educational.
0: Okay, okay thanks, Darcy. We are concluding. This is Susan Yu, and you are on KZUX. Um, next will be Patrick Gomes uh, with Interlude, and thank you so much, Darcy Annell, CEO of Mendocino County, for